Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's up, Porch? How we doing tonight? Hey, it is uh, it's so good to see you. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Timothy Atik. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Watermark on Sundays and here at the porch. I want to say hello to all the Porch Live locations that are watching tonight, and obviously hello to everyone in the room here in Dallas. We are in the second week of our series where we are walking through what is quite possibly the most famous chapter in the entire Bible. It's Psalm 23. Even if you're new to the Bible, not very familiar with Christianity, there is a very good chance that you're familiar with the text that was just read on that video that we watched. It's most often read at funerals, but it is the most familiar and most famous chapter in the entire Bible. And we are journeying just one or two verses at a time over a five-week period. So welcome, and I'm so glad that you're jumping in with us. Uh, I'll start by sharing this with you. Uh, I totally got sucked into an ad on Instagram just a couple weeks ago. I'm going to tell you about it. Um, Oh, my phone is playing music right now. I better stop that because now's not a time for that to happen, but it's great. I was like, what is that? And why doesn't someone answer the phone? That's my phone playing music. Perfect. Where was I? Instagram. Getting suckered into it. So here's the deal. Uh, Y'all don't have spring break anymore because you're in the real world, but my kids still have spring break, which means I still get spring break, which is awesome. Well, the few weeks leading up to spring break, I went on a a diet which put me into a calorie deficit, which is really tough for someone who loves food. I hated my life for like three weeks, and then spring break hit, and man, I just went off the cliff of eating food. Like, I ate like the world was coming to an end. And because of that, and because of the reality that our phones are always listening to us, uh, my phone heard that I was talking about diets, and because I was eating like the world was going to end, I think I was talking about working out. And so when I got back from spring break, there were these ads that were popping up on Instagram about diet plans or workout plans. In one day, I was taking a nap, and I woke up from my nap, and I guess I was feeling just vulnerable because I got on Instagram, and there was this ad of this guy without his shirt on, showing his six-pack, eating a piece of pizza, saying, you don't ever have to do cardio again in your life, and you can eat pizza. And I was like, tell me more. (laughs) And so it was like, click here. I was like, I'll click there. And then I proceeded to watch a video for 28 minutes of this guy showing me how I can eat pizza 
with a six pack. And then that video led me to a page where I gave them all my credit card information. <laughs> and then after I pushed send or submit, it took me to another video that I then watched where it gave me another opportunity to sign up for more things that would help me eat pizza with a six pack. And now I have deep regret. Because here's the deal, when you pay money to one Instagram ad, Instagram's like, we've got him. <laughs> this is a guy that likes to spend money on stuff he'll never use, so let's flood his feed with ads. But here's the reality, here's where I'm at with that workout plan. I, I fully understand what that guy wants to do for me. He wants to send me multiple emails every single day. He wants to get into a Zoom chat with me where he can tell me what to eat and what to do for a workout. I know exactly what he wants to do for me, and I know what possibilities await, and yet I've paid the $61 two weeks ago, and I haven't done a thing with it. So I know what this guy wants to do. I know the possibilities that await, but the reality is that action is required on my part. And the reason I share that with you is because as we step back into Psalm 23, tonight you're going to walk away very clear on what God wants to do for you. And you're going to be clear on what possibilities await for you. But it's going to require action on your part. It's going to require you to take a step. Some of you are here tonight and you're like, I know exactly what God wants to do for me. I know exactly what the possibilities are and I know what action I need to take and I'm taking it and you're, you are, you've been walking with Jesus Christ. You're on fire for Jesus Christ. This is the best season of life that you've had with Jesus to date. And if that's you, I'm so glad you're here. Keep going. Others of you, you've been a believer for a long time and you know what God wants to do for you. You know the possibilities await that await with Jesus, and yet you're in a season of life post-college where you've just kind of fallen off. And college was like your spiritual glory days. Like you sometimes in your mind play the highlight reel of your spiritual life in college and something deep down inside of you is like, if I could just go back there, if I could just get back to that place where I had that community and I was involved in these different organizations, and that was five years ago for some of you. And for five years, you've just kind of been in limbo. And then for others of you, you got tricked into coming tonight. Someone was like, let's go to happy hour, and they brought you here. This is a happy hour. Like, we will be happy for about an hour. So they didn't lie to you. But you walked in here and you're not very familiar with Jesus. You're not very familiar with Christianity. You know more about what Christians stand against than what it's for. And so, man, I'm so glad you're here as well. Because you're going to hear what God wants to do for you and what is possible. But it will require action on your part. So if you have a Bible, I want you to join me tonight in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is where we're going to be. Since we're going to be rooted in one passage that only has six verses for five weeks, I just want to encourage you to put it to memory. Like, I guarantee you this chapter really can change your life, can change your life. Tonight we're looking at verses two and three. 
But I'll start in verse 1 because we covered it last week. If you weren't here for the launch of the series, I would encourage you to go back and check it out. But King David is writing, and David is using the imagery of a shepherd. Why? Well, because David's dad was a shepherd, and David himself was a shepherd. And when David became the king of Israel, kings in the ancient Near East were referred to as shepherd kings. So this is like a football coach using a football analogy. It just makes sense. David, who has been a shepherd and is the shepherd of a nation, is saying, even this shepherd needs a shepherd. And so he starts in verse 1, and what does he say? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I lack nothing, or I have all that I need. And now he goes on to verses 2 and 3. Listen to what he says. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you see the the activity in these two verses? If you follow the verbs, all of the verbs are attached to God. So these two verses are all about what God is doing. It's all about his activity. It's about what he wants to do in your life. And because we're going to see what God wants to do in your life, you're going to see the possibilities that await for you. But if you look at what God does, it, it says that Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. This is the activity of of God, our shepherd. And so what you're going to see tonight is what God delights doing in his sheep. It's what he wants to do in your life. So this is my invitation to you to just become familiar with what God wants to do. There's four things I'm going to identify from this passage that God wants to do in your life. The first thing that God wants to do is God wants to satisfy you. God wants to satisfy you. When I talk about satisfaction, I'm talking about satisfying the deepest longings of your soul. Well, where do I get that from? I get that from verse 2. David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. There's There's two different ideas here that we need to identify. One is the idea of nourishment. Because he identifies green pastures, which was what sheep would eat for food, and then quiet waters, which is where sheep would drink. So he's talking about nourishment. But he's not just talking about nourishment. He's also talking about rest. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Obviously, for a sheep to be made to lie down, that sheep is being put into a position of rest. But he says he leads me beside quiet waters. Some of your Bibles have an asterisk next to quiet waters, and if you were to look at the bottom, the Hebrew there can also be translated waters of rest. So there's two ideas here, nourishment and rest, And what is helpful here is to hear from an actual shepherd. There's a guy named Philip Keller who was a shepherd in Africa, and then he became a lay minister, lay pastor, and he wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, where he just looks at what David is saying, and he provides insight 
from the viewpoint of a shepherd. And here's what he identifies. He identifies the fact that it's very hard to make a sheep lie down to rest when they're hungry. Some of y'all can totally identify with that. Like when you get hungry slash hangry, you can't think straight, you can't sit still. And what Philip, Philip Keller is saying is, hey, when a sheep is hungry, like that sheep is going to wander around in, in what is often an arid climate looking for green pasture to feed on. Because until he's full, he's not going to lie down to rest. But then he also identifies the fact that if a sheep is, is thirsty, that sheep will begin to wander looking for water. And if the sheep is not led to the right places, they will drink from polluted potholes where they pick up parasites that can make them sick. So just take that idea. David is talking about nourishment and rest. And Philip Keller is saying a sheep will not lie down if they're hungry. So here's what that tells us. It tells us that satisfaction is key to rest. Like when you are hungry, you will be restless. And so here's where I'm getting at. Let me just ask you this. Is your life rest-filled or is it restless? Here's what I'm really asking you. I'm not asking you if you're getting enough sleep at night. What I'm asking you about is your inner peace. Like, would you, would you describe your life as peaceful? Do you feel peace in your soul? I would imagine that a good majority of you would say no. I mean, studies have shown that millennials and Gen Z are the most anxious generations to date which just means that we are restless people. We are people who struggle to tap into peace. Do you know why that is? Do you know why you might be restless? The reason that you might be restless is because you're hungry. And so the question is, what is your soul craving right now? It's just good for you to evaluate because what we have is we're, we have David saying, let me tell you what my shepherd, my God does. My shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So this is David saying, my shepherd has satisfied the deepest longings of my soul. And because he has, I rest. I'm at peace. If you lack peace, if you feel restless, it's because you're hungry. So what you need to figure out is what is your soul craving right now? What do you believe is the key to your peace? I would imagine that for many of you, the thing that your soul is craving right now is purpose and significance. You're in your first or second job out of college, and in part of you is just so antsy because you still don't feel like you're doing what you were made to do. So you just feel like you're filling a job and it's not really satisfying. So you don't feel like your life is filled with purpose or maybe you really like your job, but you desperately want the respect of the people that are above you. You're trying to make a name for yourself. You want to show the world that you have become something and you are living an honorable, respectable life in significant, of significance. 
And so you're restless. Or maybe you're hungry just for experiences. Like you're in your early, mid, or late 20s, and you're like, okay, this is the one time of my life, like before I settle down, before I get married, before I have kids, like this is the time I just want to squeeze every aspect out of it. Like if there's an experience to be had, like this is the least constrained I am in my life. So I, I, I want to be out with friends on on Saturdays, like I want to wake up, I want to get out of the house early, I want to work out, I want to, I want to get out, I want to be with friends. Like oh, if something is happening, you fear missing out. You're just hungry for that connection. Others of you, you're, you're craving companionship or love. Like you want to find your people in Dallas. You're tired of spending night after night by yourself in your apartment. Others of you, you just want to know the affection of a guy or a girl, like you're tired of being on the wedding circuit. When is your wedding going to be on the circuit? And so you're just craving that, that companionship, love. Some of y'all are craving security, like you're carrying a lot of debt from college right now, and it feels like forever before you'll be out of it. And so you just feel so constrained financially and you just want that security, that peace of mind, that that weight has been lifted. So you're restless. And then others of you, you're just craving comfort and ease because life has been hard. And you're just tired of life being difficult and you're just craving like a moment of just ease, like a a season where the waves stop. Just identify real quick, what are you craving? Identify it. Name it. Name it in your mind and your heart. What are you craving? Now, answer this question, what or how are you trying to satisfy your craving? How are you trying to satisfy it and is it working? Because some of you might realize that you are subconsciously, or you're just not even thinking about it, but you're trying to satisfy your cravings in ways that are actually intensifying your cravings. So, for example, when I was in college, one of the ways that I tried to satisfy my craving for significance and love was that I looked at pornography. Like, I had a seven-year run looking to pornography because in a fantasy world, I was extremely significant, and I could I, I experienced some distorted version of intimacy, which was really no intimacy at all. But when I would finish looking at porn, there was shame. And then there was just the reminder that it was, it was all just a distorted version of intimacy, which was no intimacy at all. It just, it intensified the craving. Or like, for example, I mean, I shared last week that 2022 was probably the hardest year of my life. And you know what I craved? I craved comfort and ease. So there were, there were some times where I would, I would just sit down on the couch at night, turn on Netflix and get a bowl of popcorn to, to try and have some mirage of ease. But when the show was over or the bowl was empty, all I had done was escaped for 45 minutes. The, the waves of life were still crashing in. Instead of dealing with the waves, I was trying to escape them. And then honestly, social media, 
Like it can be a good thing. It also can be a bad thing. Like there have been times in my life where I've just had to shut it off because you know what it does is it intensifies a craving for being significant that is super unhealthy in my life. So you just have to ask, like when you're looking at social media, if you're looking at what everyone else is doing and it causes you to compare, does it just intensify your craving? Identify what are you hungry for and how are you trying to, to, to deal with that hunger? My fear is that many of us would deal with it like the nation of Israel did. Jeremiah 2.13, God says, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Do you hear what God's saying? He's saying, look, you, you've forsaken me like I'm the one who gives you living water. I'm the one that can satisfy your thirst, but instead you've, you've made broken cisterns that can hold no water. So what you have to figure out is if you're thirsty and yet you're trying to drink from cups that in the end, it, it will not satisfy. It's it's broken, it's, it's busted pornography, it cannot satisfy you. Hooking up with guy after guy or girl after girl, in the end, it cannot satisfy you. Going out night after night, drink after drink, in the end, you might escape something, but you will not satisfy something. And so I just want to tell you that I think David, who wrote Psalm 23, I think he was on to something. Because we're talking about what are you hungry for? What are you craving? Listen to what David says in Psalm 34. Listen to his mentality. Psalm 34, ver verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 36, 7 through 9. David says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Watch this. Verse 8. Watch the language. They Feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Jesus says in John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then in Matthew 11.28, Jesus says, come to me, come to me, all who are weary, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Augustine said this. He said, O oh God, thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls are restless, searching till they find their rest in thee. And so I'm just telling you, if you want to know what God wants to do for you, first, the first thing he wants to do is he wants to satisfy you. He wants to make you lie down in green pastures. He wants to lead you beside quiet waters. He wants to satisfy the hungers, the cravings of your soul so that you will experience rest. I am just telling you, everything you are longing for is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And you you won't be able to understand that until you take a step of faith to try and experience it. Like until you make a decision where you just say, look, 
If there is a longing in me, I am going to take a step of faith and believe that only Jesus Christ can satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. And so I'm going to press into Jesus. I'm going to wake up and meet with Jesus. I'm going to gather with friends and talk about Jesus. Here's a discussion for you and your friends to have tonight. I want to encourage you to sit with your friends and just discuss this. How can Jesus satisfy the hungers of your soul, which will require you to be honest and say, this is what I'm craving in my soul. How can Jesus satisfy it? The second thing God wants to do in your life is God wants to restore you. He wants to restore you. In verse 3, David simply says, he restores my soul. There, there's two images that play into the idea of God restoring When David says he restores my soul, the first image is the idea of a sheep wandering away and the shepherd going and chasing the sheep down and bringing the sheep back. It's the idea of repentance where the sheep that has wandered gets brought back. The second idea is just the idea of a shepherd nursing the sheep back to health. So if you want to zone out tomorrow at work, just get on YouTube. I'm not encouraging it. I'm just saying... Some of y'all, you're going to do it no matter what. So I'm just telling you what to watch. You just go type in, type in cast sheep. C-A-S-T, cast sheep. There's a real thing where a cast sheep is a sheep that decided to lay down to relax. And when he laid down, you know, sheep's bodies are very wide and their backs are extremely flat. So when a sheep lays down, if he begins to kick his legs, that sheep, without realizing it, will roll over on its back and get stuck because its back is like a table. And so you will see videos of sheep just sitting there like flailing about and they can't do anything about it. And it's actually a huge problem because if they lay there for just a few hours, then gases can build up in their bodies and they can die within hours just from laying down. Some of you are like, I get that. (laughs) And so the idea is a shepherd comes and I mean, you can watch shepherds, they'll come and flip the sheep over and like all of the blood is out of their legs. So they're just like, they've got dead legs and then they get up and they, they run on. But it's those two images, put them together. When, it says, when David says he restores my soul, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I know what it looks like to have wandered away from the shepherd and for the shepherd to bring me back and to, to, to nurse me back to health. And I'm just going to tell you, I know exactly what it feels like for the Lord to restore my soul. Post-college, I graduated from Texas A&M University. Thank you. Yeah. And then I moved back to Dallas. And when I was here post-college, I just gave myself over to to a season of sin. It was a season where I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so it was a season marked by impurity, hiding, and hypocrisy. I was actually interning here at this church, Watermark. 
working with high school students, telling them to live one way, and then I was going out and living a different way. I was going to seminary at the time to become a professional Christian. <laughs> living in hypocrisy. Do you know what happened during that season? What really happened was I believed a lie. Here's the lie that I believed. I believed that I could do what I wanted to do, living in sin, and still be close with Jesus. Like, I, I believed a lie. Like, I, I told myself, like, man, I'm, I'm making poor decisions. I'm asking God's forgiveness for it. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm, I'm doing ministry. I'm helping other people learn about Jesus. But then I'm going back, and I'm doing bad decisions. I start the cycle over. I say I'm sorry. I go and serve. I read my Bible. And so I believe that I could engage in this sin and still be close with Jesus. And it was a lie. And without realizing it during that extended period of doing what I wanted to do, that short-term gratification was laying the roots for long-term shame and pain. And God loved me enough to yank me back into his fold. And it hurt deeply. And, and I would say I could point at that season of my life when, when God the good shepherd yanked me back, he stripped everything away from my life. And he took me to rock bottom so that he could rebuild me. And he changed my life. Changed my life. I ended up, I ended up going and traveling abro abroad. And I, every day I just spent the day with Jesus. Like I would, I would wake up early in the morning and I would wake up praying. And I would just journal my heart out to the Lord. And I would read a chapter of Acts each day. And I would journal through that. And then I would email friends from home just telling them what God was doing in my life. And when I... When I landed back in Texas, I was a different person. And I remember talking to a friend who had watched me hit rock bottom. And here's the words that he said. He said, I hear life in you again. I hear life in you. Why? Because the good shepherd had restored my soul. And that's the beauty of God's grace. I don't know what you brought into this room tonight. I don't know if you're sitting there saying, God could never forgive me. If you're carrying massive amounts of shame around, I don't know what you've done. I don't need to know what you've done. The size of your sin displays the size of our God. Jesus Christ in his work on the cross through his death his burial, and his resurrection, it is sufficient to make you new. And that's what God did for me, is he restored my soul. But maybe you're here tonight, and in your, my story is similar to your story. Maybe you've known Jesus for a long time, but ever since you graduated college, I mean, that's what happened to my friends. Like my friends, my group of friends were guys that loved Jesus in college and then everyone graduated and we all came to Dallas and, and guys just were like, ah, the world. And so guys just that loved Jesus in college, they just jump head first into the ways of the world for an extended period of time.
And maybe that's you. Maybe you've wandered away from Jesus. Maybe you're in your early 30s and you've been wandering now for a decade. And I just want to lovingly tell you, man, you've believed a lie. You've believed a lie that you can come here each Tuesday night and, and you can worship God, you can go home, you can read your Bible, and then you can jump into sin and God's good with it. He loves you deeply. And yet you have two choices. You can either run home to him or you can wait for him to yank you back. And one's a lot more painful than the other. So this is me just gently and lovingly saying, I know what it feels like to get yanked back by the good shepherd. And it's a great act of love. And God will never punish you out of anger. He will discipline you out of love. Come home tonight. Come back into the fold tonight. If you've wandered away, there is a good shepherd who wants to restore your soul and breathe life back into your bones. Number three, God wants to lead you. He wants to lead you. David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When David says he leads me in paths of righteousness, that, that phrase path, paths of righteousness in the Hebrew just means he leads me on right paths. So it's the idea of a shepherd who, who knows his role. His role is to lead the sheep. He calls the sheep by name and the sheep follow him and he leads them to places that they need to go. David is saying, that is what God has done for me. David is saying, I was a shepherd as a teenager. So I know what it's like to, to lead the sheep on right paths, and that's exactly what God has done for me. And I think that that's so interesting for David to look at his life and say, God led me in the right paths. The reason I think that's so interesting is I shared some of this last week, but if you're not that familiar with David's life, David found out that he was going to be the king of the nation of Israel around the age of 15. Do you know what age he finally became king? 30. Do you know what he was doing for those 15 years? He was running for his life. And yet he can look back and say, God led me on the right paths. I mean, you look at David's life, finds out at 15 that he's going to be king. What would you do if you found out you were going to be king of a nation at 15? How arrogant would you be? I would be. You know what David does? He finds out he's going to be king, and then the next day he's back out in the country taking care of his sheep. And then he's not even old enough to go and fight the Philistine army. He shows up. The whole nation of Israel is trembling in fear at this giant named Goliath. What does David do? He takes a step of faith, and he drops the giant. But then even after that, you know what he did? even as he comes home from slaying Goliath and everyone's fangirling over David. Women are writing songs about David. And yet what does he do? He goes and plays the harp for the king. The king tries to kill him. It says that he threw a spear at David twice. That means David had a spear thrown at him and then came back and kept playing the harp. And then a second spear got thrown. He's like, okay, I better leave this time. And he actually leaves. Good call. And then he goes on the run. And when he goes on the run, 
Saul, the current king, is trying to kill him. And then there's this interesting story in Scripture with Saul, where Saul goes into a cave to take care of some business, use the bathroom, in case you're not following, and David happens to be in that cave. And all of his friends is like, this is it, kill him. Like he's never been in a more vulnerable position. This is your time, kill him and take the throne. David's like, I'm not going to do that because now's not the time. He's the king. And so I tell you that just to say, David knew that God wanted to lead him. God wanted to be his leader. And David made a decision. My God, my shepherd is trustworthy. I can trust him to lead me. Even if I can't see how the path turns out, even if I can't see where we're headed, and even if the path is difficult, I can trust the shepherd. He will lead me on right paths. And David said, he leads me on paths of righteousness for what? For his name's sake. What was the result of David's life? The result was that he was a great man of character and a bunch of people began to follow him. In the nation of Israel, God's people flourished. And God was famous to the nations through the leadership of David. It was for his name's sake. See, I tell you that just to say, what does God want to do? He wants to lead you on the right path. But it's going to require you to make a decision. Is God a trustworthy leader? Even when you can't see where the path will end up, even when the path is difficult, can God be trusted? About a year and a half ago, my youngest son, Jake, he's five and a half now. He was right around four at the time. And we were at home, and it was time for family dinner. And Jake went, I heard him, there in our home in College Station, there was a kitchen table, and then about 15 feet away was a bathroom. And so Jake went to the bathroom, didn't wash his hands, and came out to eat dinner. I said, Jake, you got to go wash his hands. He's didn't want to wash his hands. I said, okay, Jake, here's the deal. You cannot sit down at the table and eat dinner until you've washed his hands. And he lost his ever-loving mind. And so here's what I did. I said, I took Jake to his room. I said, Jake, you're going to sit in your room. We're going to go eat dinner because he's losing his mind. He's not going to interrupt our dinner. I said, man, love for you to come eat dinner with us, but you're going to have to wash your hands before you come eat dinner. This is so great. So I go back to the table, and I'm eating dinner with my wife and my two other sons. And Jake finally comes out of his room, and I hear him go into the bathroom right by our kitchen. I hear him turn on the sink. He's washing his hands. And from the bathroom, I'm sitting there eating my food. Jake, four-year-old Jake, is in the bathroom, and hears the words I hear come out of his mouth. I hate this place. I loved that moment so much. <laughs> it was amazing. I hate this place. And I think about that, I'm like, man, that escalated quickly. Like, that's why he hated this place, because he had to wash his hands if he wanted to eat dinner. So quickly, he lost trust in me. Why? because he didn't like my ways. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. He thought that I was in some way trying to steal from him. He was convinced that there was a better way. And I just think about us. I'm like, 
How quickly do we lose trust in God? When we can't see where the path is headed, when the path gets difficult, we lose complete trust in Him, and we don't fully trust Him to lead us. So we decide God's way is not the best way. It might be a way, but sometimes it's not the best way, so we're going to do things our way. And so I'll just say this. There's been plenty of times in my life where I've chosen to trust in my own leadership more than God's leadership. And now that I look over an extended season of life, I'm 42, when I look back, you want to know the times in my life where I've said, I hate this place. Do you know when it is? It's when I've insisted on doing things my way instead of God's way. Like when I lived for that extended season doing what I wanted to do, do you know what place it landed me in? It landed me in a season of brokenness, rock bottom, full of shame. I hated that place. There was a season of my life where people who hurt me, I allowed bitterness and resentment to well up inside of me, and it was toxic to my soul for five years. I hated that place. The times when my wife and I get into a fight and, and I operate in the flesh and I'm just trying to win the fight instead of understand and resolve the fight, I hate that place. Where I'm like, I just want to get back to laughing with my wife, enjoying time with my wife. I hate that place of being in conflict, conflict with her. The places that I hate in life are always a result of me choosing to trust in myself instead of the leadership of the Good Shepherd. God wants to lead you, and He wants to lead you for His name's sake. I tell you that just to say, as followers of Jesus Christ, we will either bring shame or fame to God's name. We'll either bring shame or fame to His name. I remember I was a student pastor in Austin, and after the Sunday service was over, I was cleaning up the room, and there was a high school kid who left a note for me, and what he did was he quoted, he wrote a quote that people have attributed to Gandhi. I don't know if he said it or not, but what, here's, he wrote a note to me saying, T.A., I like your Christ, not your Christians. And the last time I checked his Facebook, he would identify himself as an agnostic. And I would just say how we live and whether we choose to trust the leadership of the Good Shepherd, it will either bring shame or fame to the name of Jesus. So let me just tell you how I started my day today. This is just straight out of my prayer journal. This is what it looks like for me, because I'm in the same place as you. Just because I'm a pastor, that doesn't make me that much, that, that doesn't put me in a higher place than you. Like we are all in this together. This is what it looked like. This is how I had to start my day. There is no God but you. Today I exist to know you, to be satisfied in you, and to make much of you. All glory belongs to you. Be glorified through my life today. The only reason I have breath in my lungs is to praise you, to behold you, and to point others to you. Lord, have your way in me today. There is no area of my life which is off limits. That's just me saying, God, I will choose today to trust your leadership, okay? God wants to lead you. And then finally, 
This last point is specifically for the people in the room who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus. So if that's you, I'm so glad you came tonight. What I want you to hear is God wants to save you. And you're like, I don't need saving. Well, here's all I want to do. I just want to read a few verses of Scripture. I'm just going to read it. And just let God do what he wants to do in your life. So I would just ask you to listen to these verses to process what they're saying. In light of David saying, you lead me in paths of righteousness. He's saying God leads us on the right path. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 say, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And then finally, Jesus says in John 10, 27 through 29, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I hope you hear tonight what God wants to do for you. He wants to save you. If you're sitting there saying, I don't need saving. Well, according to the scriptures, every single one of us like a sheep has gone astray. What does that mean? Each of us has turned to his own way. We have looked at God's way and we've said, I'll find a better way. And because of that, because of that sin, what do we deserve? We deserve hell. We deserve eternal separation from God. And yet, what does the text say? But God has caused the iniquity to be laid on Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he was being punished for you and me. When he rose from the dead, he was displaying that his victory was enough for you and me. So that when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you follow Jesus Christ, what does John 10 say he does? He gives eternal life to us. He wants to save you and me. If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, Tonight is the night. Tonight is the night. So, you know what God wants to do for you tonight. You know what he wants to do. He wants to satisfy you tonight. Tonight he wants to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Tonight what he wants to do is he wants to restore you. He wants to lead you, and he wants to save you. That's what he wants to do. The possibilities are amazing. Will you take a step? Let's pray together.
And let me just ask, just with your eyes closed, we don't do this all the time, but I just want to ask, if you're here tonight and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, with your eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand real quick so I know who I'm talking to in this place tonight? If that's you, it's great. It's awesome. And if that is you, I just want to invite you in this moment, would you just say, there's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just you telling God what you want to be true. Would you just tell him, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life tonight? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead for me. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? And would you lead me in a new life? you as my Savior and as my King. Just say, I give my life to you tonight, Jesus. And if you've been walking with Jesus for decades, would you just do business with him right now? Would you just invite him to do a new work in your life, whether it's satisfying you, restoring you, leading you, whatever it is, would you talk to him and invite him in to do his work? And then we'll respond in song in just a moment.